thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. You may be seated. morning. Um, I'm obviously not who you're used to seeing up here. Um, the more handsome version will be next week. Just kidding. Did I say that right? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but you also uh, may not know who I am in general. So I am John Kerr. I'm uh, the lead deacon here. Most often these days you'll find me back in the sound booth uh, helping balance the sound out, out there. Uh, but today I'm up here during the week. I'm a school teacher uh, I focus on the STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, and math um, at Edgewood Intermediate. So you guys are much taller than my normal <laughs> people that listen to me. Uh, so uh, hopefully that's not going to be distracting for you today. Um, so no matter what, Book of Philippians. Um, best way to get into this I can think of is I'm going to tell you a story about hot chocolate. So my son, Liam, is... Uh, wonderful young gentleman, and uh, to give an example of that, we, on the way to the mall, as most people do, we went to get some hot chocolate and a coffee before going in to do our returns and whatever we had to do at the mall, and uh, the parents in the room will know that we told the kids a million times as we were exiting the vehicle, hold on to your hot chocolate, don't drink it while you're trying to walk, you'll drop it over and over again. Like, doesn't matter how many times we said it, something bad was going to happen, right? So, inevitably, Ivy, my daughter, in the middle of the Target parking lot, just poof, right there. Whole cup, unsalvageable, and tears, right? She's devastated now that the hot chocolate that she was hoping to drink, it, that was too hot still, is now too cold and on the floor. So, uh, Liam, in typical fashion for him, immediately was like, she can have mine. And I was like, okay. So he was adamant. He's like, no, no, really, she can have mine. I was like, okay, buddy, you drink some of it. <laughs> you can give her the second half or something. You haven't had any of yours. He's like, no, it's okay. She can have some. So he made sure in that moment that she was going to get some. Because even if he was going to allow himself to have some, he wanted to make sure that it was clear the second half was hers because he could tell how upset she was. And so, it's not the first time I've seen Liam do this, and it's not something that I've taught him, because there's no way knowing how I live my life that that's <coughs> where he got it from. But anytime he has an opportunity to think of his sister specifically, he does it. So, he gets a treat anywhere. Uh, can I take one back for Ivy? Or uh, he gets a sticker from the lady in uh, the checkout line oh, do, can I get two so I can give one to my sister? So he's always doing that. And it made me wonder, as an adult, why is that so hard? Why is it hard to, in every moment, think of someone else at the same time or first? And so I think we can find the answer in Philippians as we 
uh, resume into chapter 2. So we'll be uh, joining Paul back while he's writing uh, this letter to the Church of Philippi. Um, he's still in prison and uh, trying to uh, get his point across. So I'm going to read through it, and then we'll, we'll go through and break it down. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason... God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as we look at the first part here, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation with love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. What's going on is the Church of Philippi is having trouble because there's so many opinions on how it should be run at this moment that they're trying to figure out what the right way to go is. And so they're arguing about it. They're constantly get, thinking that their opinion is better than the other person's and they're going about it this whole time. And Paul's saying, you got to think of one purpose. Why, why are you even meeting together? Why are you doing this? Um, and what he's saying is that the true obstacle to unity of heart and mind is not based on differences in opinions, but is due to selfishness and vanity, shifting attention away from others or from oneself to others which of course is what Jesus Christ did, is the key, the key to Christian unity. So he's saying you don't need to unite your opinions. You can have your own opinions, that's fine. But what you need to do is remember, what, what are you there for? Why do you need to, why are you having these conversations? Why are you meeting? And so... Uniting in spirit is, is kind of the same thing as what we've heard before. Of like, okay, so it's not Jeremy and the elders that are the head of this church. Or it shouldn't be. It should be Christ is the head of the church. We need to be united and going towards what he's wanting, not with what we want. We're going to have different ways we want to get there. I mean, we're human, right? I mean, just think of... Uh, well, I'll, I'll take it to what I know most about teaching. So uh, I'm going to put an equation up for you here. So back when we were in school, 35 plus 24. 
Easy. We're going to stack those suckers up. We're going to go straight down. 5 plus 4 is 9. 3 plus 2 is 5. 59. Got it. Right? And then, not that long ago, our uh, kids started coming home with homework that looked like this. 35 plus 24. So that's 30 plus 20 equals 50. And 5 plus 4 equals 9. And 50 plus 9 equals 59. And we're like, okay, well, why are we doing all this when we could just be just going straight down? It's, what would, it's always worked. It worked when I was little. It's how I was taught, right? But now it's like, okay, we got this. And what's missing is the point, right? Just like we need to make sure that we're focusing on where the church is going based on what God wants. Both direct examples are pointing you towards helping students understand how to solve mathematical equations. That's the goal of the whole thing. That, that's the unifying goal. No matter how you get there, how you were taught, or how they're trying to teach it now, the goal's the same. Maybe, and, if, and if that doesn't sound familiar, let's talk about, I mean, it's Super Bowl Sunday. If we don't mention football at some point, we're probably doing it wrong, right? So uh, I can tell you that I will probably think that I'm a, a couch coach at some point today as I watch them punt on fourth and one when I think, oh, well, you could go for it here, right? Or, uh, you know, they're on the end, in the end zone, they go for a, uh, not in the end zone, they're approaching the end zone, and they go for a field goal instead. It's like, oh, man, be aggressive here. I don't know anything about football, really, right? But I might think I do. But the whole goal of the game for both teams is to win, right? Same thing's going on here. The trick and the hardest part about this is once we get to verse 3. Because it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. If you're like me, you've heard that before. My mom would always say, John, the world does not revolve around you. Right? I mean, I mean, does not, no, was no one else worried about the new video game that came out and that I can't drive myself to Best Buy to get that we all need as a family to have a Best Buy trip, right? So, you know, same thing. Selfish ambition. We're very good as humans at putting ourselves first. It's easy. You know, the culture is saying, this is what you should do. How many followers do you have? How many likes did that post get? Or uh, if you're a Parks and Rec fan, treat yourself day, right? Like, whatever you want this day, it's yours. This is your day. You're going to do everything that serves you. And that's great. That's what we're used to. Or even in the corporate world, how, how high can I go? When can I get that next promotion? When can I ne get that next job up the ladder? Those sorts of things. <clears throat> but the other side of that is selfish ambition could also be doing good things that actually the whole point of doing them is to serve yourself. So in Matthew 6, 5, it says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues, and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. Or in Acts 5, uh, we've heard the story of uh, Ananias and Sapphira. You know, they sold their land. To give you a, a quick recap, they sell their land, and they're going to donate it to the church, all the proceeds. That's their goal. But once they see how much they get for the land, they're like, all right, well, what if we keep some of this, but we tell them we're giving them all so it looks good, right? So then... That's when Ananias comes in and he's like, all right, I sold my land. Here, here it is. Here's all the money from it. 
they're like, awesome. But Peter in that moment knew that he was being conceived, you know, he was being lied to, that he was keeping some back, which was fine, right? It's okay to, to give part. We don't ask you to tithe 100% of your, your uh, pay every week, 10%. So they could have done the same thing. But the goal was to look really good in that church, in front of those other people. So when they come in, they lay this down. It's like, oh, look at this large donation, which we've probably done that too, right? I can think of a few times that I've purposely been nice to someone so that they'll be my, nice to me later when I need it. Or <clears throat> sometimes I wonder if Liam's true ambition is this, right? Because uh, later, to continue that story as he did give his sister the rest of the hot chocolate, he then... Uh, uh, Ivy was given three stickers in the checkout line from Target. And Ivy is not like Liam. Uh, she does not quite immediately think of <laughs> others first in that moment. So she is going to keep these stickers. And Liam, in typical fashion, goes, but I gave you half my hot chocolate. You can't give me one sticker? Yeah. The answer was no. <coughs> All three stickers ended up on her shirt on purpose so that they would be uh, unusable now. Um, but, you know, I don't know if when he gave her the hot chocolate, he was storing that up. But I think we can see ourselves in him in that moment of like, but wait, I just let you in and now you're going to, you know, cut me off or whatever. Things like that. So, we're human. We're not perfect. If we try to figure this out on our own, it's not going to happen. So what do we do? How are we supposed to switch our minds and put others first? And this is where verse 5 hits. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So Paul answers, I mean, Paul tells us, be like Jesus. Which makes me immediately think of the, uh, as a 90s kid, those WWJD bracelets, right? What would Jesus do? In all, in all things, that was the whole point, right? So, to know how to live like Jesus, we need to look at how he lived first. So, let's, let's look at uh, verse 6 here. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. So, fully God, fully man, equal with God. But instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. So he didn't empty himself of being God, right? The whole time he's there, he know on earth, he knows that he is fully God, and at any moment he could do godly things. But he chose each and every day and each and every moment to empty himself of that authority so that he could be a servant of God, not his equal. So much so that when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So even though he was technically and on all, in all ways equal with God, he chose to be less 
only in like authority, right? To be obedient to God so that he could die in what history books everywhere says is the worst possible death and the most uh, humiliating death that one could experience on this earth. I'm really glad that I am not where Jesus was. I'm really glad that I live in a place that I'm not being asked to surrender completely to the point of death while I'm on this earth. So, he became a servant of God, not himself. He didn't act according to what he wanted or what he thought he deserved, but what God wanted the he being Jesus. So Jesus came to serve God and he did so by serving the people. So Paul said to put others first and he and he wanted to highlight this example of what Jesus did for us by dying for us. So then we have to ask ourselves, what does this look like today? What does it look like to surrender ourselves to what God wants? today and that w- serving others right so that's when you let the person with the screaming baby in in the checkout line go ahead of you because you know they need to get to the car there's probably something that they need to do right so you put them first um, you allow the if anyone else went to the uh, IU women's game you let the three or four cars that are stuck as you're in the main thing get out of the, of the traffic, right? You let them into the mainstream. Maybe it's here. Maybe you teach a Sunday school class for Jackie or you uh, grab an envelope or two from the back wall. Go on, go on the mission trip. I don't know what it looks like for you. But putting others first. All of these things, if you think through each one though, they cost you something. Just like uh, Jesus serving others and serving God cost him, it's going to cost you something, right? If I choose to teach a Sunday school class here for Jackie, that means I'm going to do it for a whole month, and I will have to probably attend two services. That's going to cost me some time. I'm going to have to do some pre-reading and make sure that I know my lesson. So I'm going to get beginning at that time. Right, Or if I grab a couple envelopes from the, the back hallway, I'm going to be giving some of the money that I might have been setting aside for that purpose. Or even letting the car in in traffic. Now, now I'm going to commit to waiting a little longer so that this person can come in. Right? There is a cost. Some might even be a little bit higher. So for the mission trip. If you decide to go on the mission trip, you're going to be giving up vacation time probably. There's a chance that you're going to be giving up a little bit of um, funds or, or something to help you, you get there and be a part of that. You're going to be giving up control of what you're doing that week because you're going to be let, letting someone else's schedule dictate where you're going and what you're doing and how you're serving that week. 
right? If you're called to make a large donation, I've seen this with some friends of ours. They were asked to, uh, to make a large donation. They were saving for a house, but they just knew that it was, yep, we need to make this donation. So they set back their plans of putting in that down payment so that they could serve with their money the way God wanted it. So Jesus paid the ultimate cost. And we're fortunate with where we live that we're not being asked to do that. But though it costs you something to serve, it doesn't mean that you won't be rewarded. That's the crazy thing to me about God, is that at the same time he's asking you to humble yourself and put others first, he goes and he says, for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So by surrendering himself to the cross, he was then exalted above all others. So when people hear Jesus' name, they know who it is. They know who he was. And many bow to him. And put him above themselves. So that's where when you serve, you end up with that good feeling. I can uh, remember the first time I was asked to do home communion as part of my deacon duties, which is where you take the uh, communion blood and uh, or juice and bread to the uh, shut-ins and things. I was nervous, probably just as nervous as I was the first time I walked up here this morning. Right, And in that moment, I didn't think I was going to be able to talk to these people. I was like, I have no idea who these people are. I don't, I'm going into their home. What is this going to look like? But then after you sit there and you talk to them, you get to know them a little bit. You pray with them openly. You give them communion. Then you leave, you're like, Somehow I feel better, and not just relieved, but I feel like really happy, like I might want to start doing this again. Maybe, maybe I'll sign up a couple more times to go do this. And I think that we, we can see this in other places. If you watch Jackie Goss while she is working with, with the kids of this church, be it last night at Parents' Night Out or... Uh, whenever they put on a production up here, you can see it when she's working with the kids. There's no point where she gets that, like, frustrated part that overrides her patience. Because you put that many kids up on one of these stages, I tell you, I attended some of the practices, and I was getting frustrated <laughs> that we weren't progressing through the practice. And she's just, hey, yeah, this is great. Uh, can we try that line one more time? Yeah. And the whole time, she's got a smile on her face. Because serving and doing God's work for her gives her joy. God gives back to her because she's giving her time, efforts, and talents to him. There's also a part that sometimes you could be doing the right thing. You might be doing it not for selfish ambition, 
but you're not feeling the joy, so you know something's wrong. And when I find myself in that situation, I typically find out I'm doing things out of obligation, and all it's doing is leading me to be frustrated. Because I'm not doing it for that person, I'm doing it because I have to do it for that person. And that is diminishing the joy that I should be receiving from that. And it's tough. Because what do you do? Some things have to be done. I mean, we've had two, two babies come through our house. I cannot tell you how much time I spent at the sink washing bottles, right? That's not really a task that's going to bring most people joy. But if you can think of who you're doing it for and why you're doing it, and pray about it, probably. Spend a lot of time praying over those bottles, right? Like, joy will come. I look back now, and, and it was it the worst? No, it was fine. It wasn't the most fun thing, but it was doable. So, to get unity together as Christians, we need to make sure that we are keeping God first in our hearts and our minds. We need to make sure that we're doing things for him, not for us. We need to make sure that when we do serve, we're serving out of joy and not out of obligation. Because when we look at the best example we have of serving others and doing what God wants you to do, which is Jesus. It's hard to argue with it. We aren't asked to lay down our lives. We're not asked to shed our own blood. But he was, and he did it anyways, so he didn't have to. when you sit down and spend some time in prayer in just a moment and you think of the, the body or the bread and the blood or the juice I want you to think of how he served you and reflect on how you could serve others by putting him first and putting them first Lord, we thank you so much for sending your son who, though being your equal, was less out of choice to the point of death. And we pray that as we go out this week and live in the world that you've created, that you will help us to put others before ourselves and to serve we love you, in Jesus' name.